what you're doing with email marketing more than any other channel is you're kind of opening the door for them to enter this world that you've created in a sense, which is what I find really interesting about it. You can have this kind of long-term narrative that you're constructing and you open that door by confirming their beliefs. And then once they're in, you can start kind of talking about other things. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to The Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello and welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci. And today's topic, I think, is not only important, but also interesting. And the reason I invited our guest on today is because of his unique perspective. So our guest is Matt Tracy, and he is the go-to email marketing consultant for some of the world's top business authors. And Matt combines a track record in email marketing with an academic background in ecological science. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. So taken together, Matt knows what it takes to build systems designed for growth. In his best-selling book, Natural Orders, Email Marketing Automation Strategy for Small Online Businesses, Matt describes how to develop a healthy, engaged, and profitable email marketing database, mimicking the timeless growth strategies used by the most successful systems of the natural world. So Matt is going to share with us today about some of the parallels between creating a great base of subscribers that you can do consistent marketing to and how that correlates to a healthy ecosystem in nature. So Matt's work is engaging, thought-provoking, and philosophical, and his writing and speaking inspires his audiences to think differently and to consider the multidisciplinary approaches that will help them take their businesses to the next level. So I believe when you're thinking about this, think about this as an author. Part of being an author is you've got to market to people. And so how can you take some of the lessons Matt will share with us today and apply them to selling books? Enjoy. So Matt, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Well, it's wonderful to have you here because even after over 20 years in business since the internet started, maybe even longer than maybe closer to 30 now, I still find email marketing quite mysterious. And I'm sure I am not alone and that our listeners are equally eager to hear what you have to say. You know, I was so interested by the title of your book, Natural Orders, and you know, email marketing automation strategy for small online businesses. But I was really intrigued by this idea of connecting email marketing to nature. And so I would love to start by having you share with our listeners what led you to see that connection and to embrace it to the point where you wrote a book that's centered on that. Yeah, absolutely. So look, like you mentioned, email has been around for so long. 
that's one of the oldest channels. And you often hear things these days like email marketing's dead, email doesn't work anymore. Apart from the initial confusion people seem to have just with the types of email marketing there are, like inbound versus outbound, so like automation stuff, the type of stuff that I speak about, building a list, the stuff that's relevant to an author versus some of the spammier the stuff that you see where there's just people sending unsolicited messages into your inbox, right? There's, there's a wide spectrum of email marketing. Mm. I guess it's worth, first of all, refining that conversation yes. so that it's relevant to authors. Yes, absolutely. Um, Please, let us let us focus on what authors should know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. But look, like you said, I mean, email's probably the most overlooked marketing channel, right? There's still so much to it. It's the largest and most active group of users online. It's like four and a half billion people. Compare that to Meta, which combined between Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, it's like three and a half billion. It's a huge group of people. And mm-hmm. I've, have you heard that statistic before where it's like two to three hours per day in their inbox for the average office worker? Yeah, I could believe that. If yeah, I didn't I could... have an assistant, that would be me. right yeah so i mean it's a it's incredibly active group of users as well right if you look at any of the others in that ecosystem i just mentioned like they're probably not getting that level of usage or some of them but Mm -hmm. uh, it's also really high engagement i mean you put a post on let's just say use facebook as the example you're not going to get anywhere near the average open rates you get for email marketing even if you're doing all the things wrong it'll still be better than the average facebook post Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. Uh, you know and one of the biggest things is it's direct access Mm. it's like you actually get to directly access your audience. You get to go direct to market. You get to own your audience, right? You build up this yes. database. But going back to the the book and where the idea of the book originated from. So if you look at the cover of the book, the, the title, Natural Orders, uh, look, it's not designed to sell a million copies on Amazon, right? That kind of goes against all of the rules for being a bestseller, but it is a niche book for a niche market. And this whole idea of looking at how email, you should... Look at your email marketing system like you look at an ecosystem. That's basically the premise of the book. And it's for this exact reason. So the first reason which we can get into is by taking that perspective, it helps you avoid some of the really common mistakes people make when they're just getting started with the channel. So like getting really poor open rates, really high unsubscribes, having the list literally collapse into itself, a top-down cascade like you find in an ecosystem, right? But the other big thing is this, it lets you build your own walled garden, I call it. So yeah. it helps you well, avoid this platform risk. Okay, let's talk about this cascade down because I know you you go into quite a bit of detail on that. So what do you mean when, you, when you're saying that? Because that's a metaphor that's unusual in email marketing and I'm betting our listeners probably are having trouble picturing what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's, let's go into a bit more detail. We've spoken about the platform risk side of things. So yeah, I really break it down into there's, there's two big risks as a small online business owner, and it applies to your email marketing strategy as well. So number one's the what I call the bottom-up cascade. So it's when someone basically pulls the rug from under you. This is exactly what mm. we've been talking about with this platform risk and the right. policy updates. Right. And there's ways to mitigate that. Email Having an email strategy is one of them. Mm. The other thing is what I call the top-down cascade. So it's your strategy falling in on itself. Mm. And for a bit of background, my background's actually in ecology. So I studied ecology and I worked briefly in the field before getting into marketing. And when I first started, I did notice some of these more superficial things about how marketing is like the natural world, right? So we have yeah. niches in marketing. We have niches in the natural world. You have your total addressable markets, kind of like the carrying capacity in the ecosystem. There's some much cooler ones like different market participants, 
we had like keystone and foundation species mm. in an ecosystem yeah. is similar to how there's like some important players in like in a market mm-hmm. so there are some of those superficial similarities and i thought wow that's very interesting so it was kind of the idea has been out there for a long time it's nothing new for me but when i started working with email marketing specifically i started noticing okay well this is more than just a superficial analogy. It's actually something about the way that the database is structured where you can just take lessons from ecosystems and apply them directly. So if you look at the way you as an author grow your email list, you've got a certain amount of new subscribers coming in every day. You have a certain amount of unsubscribes, people leaving every day. It's kind of like your births and mortalities you find in a little close. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also, more importantly, you have a health of that overall system. The way you measure that health in ecology is going to be a little bit different to how you measure it for your database, but those markers are, right? Um, Mm -hmm. These things like engagement, like Mm -hmm. your, it used to be open rates, open rates not so much anymore with due to some privacy updates that have just come out on the Apple side of things. Mm. Um, But looking at clicks, unsubscribes, your churn, how your list is growing over time, Mm -hmm. there's... There's quite a few factors involved that determine the health of your list. So getting that right, setting a really strong foundation from the beginning should be absolutely central to everything you do in email marketing. And that's kind of the premise of the book, because Mm -hmm. once you build up from a strong foundation, everything works better. You make more money, you get better engagement, you get better results. Right. So what would you say constitutes a strong foundation? Like what are some of the pillars that need to be in place for that foundation to be a strong foundation? Yeah. So people coming in at a good rate. Mm -hmm. So sometimes talk about you say you have a whole bunch of people coming to your website. You have a certain percentage of those who are going to become subscribers, right? Mm -hmm. So I call this traffic to subscriber conversion. I sometimes Mm -hmm. say it's really hard to double your traffic, but it's relatively easy to double your traffic to subscribe conversion, right? So if you Mm -hmm. kind of open up the top of the funnel and allow more people to come in, Mm -hmm. that's one thing that's going to make it a little bit healthier. If you're not good, if you don't have any births, if you don't make new entrants into your garden, your building, it's going to be (laughs) never going to get off in the first place. Right. Mm -hmm. Then, so that's one thing I talk about in the book in a bit more detail, but we'll just kind of gloss over all the aspects here. Mm -hmm. The next thing is once someone comes onto the list, they need to engage. So Mm -hmm. we, we spoke about some of these engagement metrics, opens, clicks, replies, can be however you actually want to measure it. These days, the best way to measure your engagement is some combination of keeping your unsubscribes really low, mm-hmm. some type of direct feedback. So either replying to an email or completing a survey or giving some other type of direct feedback so you can actually get an insight into what your audience is thinking and feeling about what you're sending them. Mm-hmm. And also, if it's possible to do, if it's owned media, so it's going back to your own website, having some sort of tracked click-through metric. So something where they, if they click on the link, you can reconcile that with traffic either on your site or on someone else's site and Mm. see how true those clicks are. Because Mm. the problem now is that some of these traditional metrics that I'm sure um, everyone listening to this is aware of, like open rates and click rates, they're becoming increasingly unreliable. So Uh. those three things I just said, that's probably a better way to get an understanding of your engagement. Uh So you have to have a healthy ecosystem with new subscribers who are engaging. Yeah. And look, this is all very, uh, this is all very in the weeds, but like, you know, sometimes the way I describe it is just don't send people spam, respect people from the very first minute that they go onto your website. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes to make it really simple, every time you go to send an email, educate, inspire, entertain. If you do at least one of those three things, you're going to be absolutely fine. The biggest mistake that you see people doing with email marketing is someone joins their list and they send them five emails in a row with buy my book, my book's on, here's my (laughs) right. 
yeah. take, take, all about me, all about me. It's the worst thing you can do. You should always be approaching the relationship with your subscriber as how can I give you as much value as possible? Now, is it possible to go too far the other way? Yes. And that's, that's a great question, actually, because that's, that's, of course, where you'll naturally lead, right? Because you think, okay, this is a marketing channel. It's meant to lead to some sort of marketing outcome. Yeah. So I go into my book in a little bit of detail, how you can structure your email marketing strategy so that you're developing subscribers from the point where you're just giving them very helpful information all the way up to the point where they're more likely to buy. So there's a framework from a classic advertising book called Breakthrough Advertising. It's one of the best copywriting books you'll ever read. It's mm. called The Five now, Who's, who's the author of that? Yeah, a guy named Eugene Schwartz. He oh, was from okay. back in the 60s or the 50s. Yeah, but it's yeah. still today, there's, there's great things to take from it. One of those things is this idea of the five stages of awareness. So basically, if you can break down your communication with email marketing into the level of awareness that subscriber has about your writing, the, your value proposition as an author, um, the problems that you help them solve as an author, even if you're writing fiction, right? If you're writing mm. fit, like you're actually, you're in the market of fantasy writing and people reading that to solve some sort of problem, right? Escapism, right. whatever it may be, right? So mm-hmm. as long as you're connecting that problem to your audience and trying to help them solve it at every stage, once you get them to the latest stages, that's when they're more likely to buy. And that's when you can start shifting the type of language that you use to be a little salesy, a little bit more, okay, I've helped you through all of these different points. Now, the thing that's more likely to help you is my product, my writing, my ideas, my Mm -hmm. IP. Cool. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. So I just have to know, what was the moment that you made the connection in your mind between nature and email marketing? Like, was it an aha moment? I just, I want to, I want to be there with you. I want to know what that was like, what happened. (laughs) (laughs) When, when you realize a list is collapsing and you don't know why. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when I was very early. So it was your own experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, great. Um, Yeah. Tell me, tell us more. I love this. Unsubscribes are really high. We're not adding people fast enough. The size of the list is getting smaller. It's a snake Mm. eating its tail. And you start to think, what is going on here? Why did this happen? If there was an aha moment at all, that was it. That was when I was uh-huh. like, oh my, this is just like what I've seen in ecology, right? Huh. The, all of the factors are there, all of the health markers, all of the the different variables you need to rescue mm-hmm. this thing and bring it back for the, from the brink, which we did end up successfully doing. Yeah, that was really, that was really the moment. And yeah. I thought I carried that idea with me for a while. And I thought, well, there's, there's probably something here. And I started looking at other areas of ecology and I started getting better results with email, honestly. Um, yeah, that was the more I thought about it as an ecosystem, the more it naturally, (laughs) pardon the, excuse me for that. It put me to on this path of, you know, respecting the audience more, um, nurturing it as like this mm-hmm. ecosystem that re- required this level of respect, which which I was doing before, but it, it takes it to another level, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there, that is such a big transition though, from nurture to harvesting, right? If you will, like from nurture to having them buy something. I don't know. I have found that to be the hardest transition for me. Do you find that for people that you work with on this or what do you think? No, I actually think that's not too bad if because it's all strategy. We're talking about things that are underrated about email. You know, one of them is the fact that you can set up these automations. You can have all of these things that take mm-hmm. a long time and progress people through these 
stages that we we're talking about. There's a guy I often quote on podcasts, and I think I mentioned him in my book as well, Robert Collier. He says, enter the conversation going on in your prospect's mind, right? If you're mm. doing that with your email marketing, then that transition doesn't need to be so hard. So mm-hmm. like, I mean, if we just walk through it for an author, someone comes onto your list and they're have a problem that they want to solve and you're meeting them at that point where you help where you're talking about that problem you're drawing that problem into their attention and then you're kind of segueing that conversation into solutions for that problem just broad solutions different ways you might be able to solve it and then you're finally taking that conversation into the place where it's you're introducing your own products and or services as one of those solutions that can, mm-hmm. be, a very, mm-hmm. can be a very smooth natural way to progress that and if one of the things you can do with email is people who aren't responding to each of those different stages, if people don't graduate to the stage where it doesn't make sense to talk about your own products, if you think that's going to annoy them, don't send them that message. That's right. one of the beautiful things about email. So you can, right. you can gradually, segment. that's right. You gradually refine over time mm-hmm. who receives those messages. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the people, if you do it right, who actually want to hear them. Mm-hmm. That's really clever. So you, you're, using how you're languaging the emails in such a way that you're really filtering out the people who aren't your best prospects because they're not going to respond in the same way to those emails that somebody who's a true prospect would respond. Absolutely. Yep. That's exactly what you should do. I mean, it's that, they call it the Pareto distribution. I'm sure everyone's aware of the the 80-20. I mean, you have that structure everywhere in nature. (laughs) It's it's in your email base, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's this uh, power law distribution and that exists. So that you're trying to seek out that power law distribution and find who's actually going to resonate with your message the most. And there's so many, there's so many things to that, right? Because one might argue in response to that, oh, I don't have time for any of that. Why don't I just send my offers out to everyone? Because mm. you burn bridges is the short answer. Whereas if you take this approach, is your services, your products, your writing, and, but it just wasn't the right time for them. If you'd actually respected them in the communication from the beginning, then that increases the chance that they might be able to come around back again through other promotion material far in the future. It's mm-hmm. just, yeah, it's there's things that can't be measured, which is another thing I talk about in the book a lot. Not everything can have a metric attached to it. <laughs> so some of these soft skills, if you will, might be harder to measure. A soft skill, like don't annoy people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hi there, Robin here. Have you been considering writing a thought leadership book that grows your business? How about writing a quality standout book with a real book publishing deal behind it that not only grows your business, but also grows your influence and reach? In case you're new to the Author's Corner, my name is Robin Colucci, and I help world-class experts write world-changing books that get published. With over 30 years of experience in the publishing industry, I have helped clients write and publish books with Big Five and other top publishers. Many have gone on to become bestsellers from Amazon all the way up to the New York Times, and others have increased their business income 600 times or more as a result of their book and partnering with me and my team. If you are a top-notch expert who is ready to write your world-changing book, go schedule a free consultation call with one of my trusted team members today. We have a limited number of slots available, and we only take clients who are committed to the process and want to get their book started now. If that sounds like you, 
go to www.worldchangingbooks.com forward slash application to apply for one of our exclusive spots. Once again, that link is www.worldchangingbooks.com forward slash application. Now, back to the show. One of the things that I've really noticed over the last, you know, 30 years that emails really become a thing is just how much time it does take to just get through one's inbox every day. And like, what do you do to rise above the noise knowing that your list is getting God only knows how many emails every day? Yeah, that's a huge problem, right? You have to have some Mm -hmm. way to cut through, right? Part of doing that. Yeah, if we're comparing those two strategies of buy a list, add everyone to the list and send them stuff they're not interested in versus like I'm saying, into the conversation going on in their mind, like meet them where they're at, something super relevant, the latter is going to have a much better chance of cutting through, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the only thing. And kind of this strategy that I talk about at these awareness stages, if you have that set up correctly, it kind of, it does this thing where it, it reconfirms existing beliefs for people, which can be really powerful. So mm-hmm. people generally will do that. Like if you're, if you're walking down the street, you're, you're more likely to notice things and look at things that confirm your view about the world than you are hmm. things that disagree with your view about the world. So if you've got an inbox with a thousand messages in it and you see something that reconfirms your belief in the world, you're naturally going to be drawn to that. I mean, oh, that's really interesting. I had never thought of that. So, so, so the idea of like surprising and pattern interrupting them isn't as effective then as speaking into something that they're confirming something that they believe in. There's time and place for pattern interrupt. Mm-hmm. I don't think the inbox generally is the place to do that. And let, mm-hmm. there's certain points where it can be used artfully and effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, yeah, I think my opinion as a copywriter and as someone in marketing for so long is yeah, people like to have their beliefs confirmed. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Yeah. And maybe especially these days, right? Because I don't know, it just seems like everything's up for debate. <laughs> maybe it can be feel exhausting <laughs> at times. Yeah. I, I would argue more than ever, people have burrowed into their own, to quote Robert Anton Wilson, their own reality tunnels, right? That's yeah. A, that's an that's obscure, interesting. Yeah. It's, I think that's absolutely true. Uh, and what you're doing with email marketing more than any other channel is you're kind of opening the door for them to enter this world that you've created in a sense, which is what I find really interesting about it is you can have this kind of long-term narrative that you're constructing and Mm. you open that door by confirming their beliefs. And then once they're in, you can start kind of talking about other things, (laughs) but that's breaking down their beliefs as you go, but you start. (laughs) Oh, You can progress the conversation, right? You can introduce right, right. introduce solutions to their problems, right? It's all about meeting them where they're at. And mm, then you can... Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, that's funny because that's something that I talk to my clients about is you have to meet your reader where they are, which mm. is probably at least a mile back behind behind where you are. You know, it's probably could be 500 miles back. You got to go get them and bring them up to where you are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You just can't oh, yeah. shout at them from down the road. <laughs> Everyone's, it's so much harder to do than you think. It's not because everyone's yeah. so smart or whatever. It's just it's you don't appreciate the things that you know versus mm. uh, what 
yeah, what, what it took you to get there. Like, I don't know. There must be a name for this phenomenon, but I, I, that's kind of why I wrote my book for people who are a little bit more advanced in email marketing who want to take it to the next stage because I, I really struggle just talking about basic email stuff, right. you know. I, I'm much yeah. more interested in the bigger strategy side of things. So, yeah. And I mean, I'm really curious because I would imagine, like we're, we're probably talking like a several months long strategy. Like how, when you're thinking about it, formulating a strategy for someone, let's say they already have a list, right? They've already been in some kind of communication. How far out are you thinking in terms of the overall goals and outcomes and how you're going to get there? Like how far ahead do you go in your thinking before you go back and start to parse it out? Yeah, it's a good question. Look, it depends on the business, but the mm-hmm. short end, yeah, months. Like you're thinking in month timeframes, absolutely. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. for even for your typical like e-commerce SaaS business, I mean, it's really like at least a month out. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I call it the subscriber journey. Everyone's heard of the customer journey before. I mean, just mm-hmm. adding that to the point where someone joins a list. There's so much that can happen. There's so many touch points. There's so much to interact with every other part of your business. Yeah, I mean, where I work with clients, I call it subscriber journey development, which is really what it is. I mean, you need to get clear on that. So, so tell me, tell us, say more about the subscriber journey because that's I've never heard that term before. Like, yeah. what does that mean to you, and and how does that work with your clients? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, look, it's, it's a term I've only really started using in the last like two or three years, as like I've been refining this more and more. But it goes back to what I was saying about. You know, it's kind of like opening this door, building this world. You're taking people through this multi-stage journey, right? You're developing their awareness as we've spoken about. You're introducing ideas, introducing products, services, as you would with any other type of business. And I think that's one of the really powerful things. And especially for authors, this narrative component is huge. You can do so much with it. So how much of the narrative is about the author and how much of the narrative is about the subscriber? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, the the trendy thing to do now is that like the story brand, like the Mm -hmm. your your reader is the hero, and you're taken through the hero's journey, and that. I'd say if you're thinking about the whole subscriber journey, we're getting a little bit technical now. It's not like one big hero's journey loop. I would argue Mm -hmm. it's many small little loops like that, and much simpler Mm -hmm. loops. Not taking Mm -hmm. through one of those hero's journey touch points, but you're taking them through smaller parts of it. If anyone, you guys, everyone listening is authors, they'll know all this stuff. But Kurt Vonnegut's Seven Types of Story, I think that's a much more helpful Mm. way of thinking about story in terms of like what you're doing with marketing. It's kind of like, I've heard other people call it emotional valence, right? So it's kind of just the ups and downs of the story and kind of closing these loops on things. Yeah, it's doing as many of those as possible (laughs) to stay ready and to progress people through. Yeah. Now, does this apply no matter what kind of a ticket item you're selling or does it vary depending on whether you are selling, for example, a copy of your book or if you're selling, you know, year-long consulting program? Yeah, of course. There's different there's different levels to it. I mean, the promotional window for selling your own book is probably a little bit shorter than a much higher ticket item. And the, the, the level of education, I'm using mm. the term education loosely here, to get someone from the point where they're ready to buy the latter product is, mm. is going to be a lot longer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all, it all depends. And you need to sequence those things up. You need to see what your what products and services you have and where they fit into this subscriber journey, at which point they're going to be introduced and taken away and it, all of this. Yeah, that taking away is is a big deal, I imagine, because you have that scarcity piece. Um, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. that component as well. I mean, what is it? Commitment, liking, authority, scarcity, uh, social proof, reciprocity, ritual, you can add on to the end. Yeah, those things are all very, very important. I mean, it's just classic marketing stuff. Actually, sorry, a quick segue on this. You know what I've noticed more and more over my time doing marketing? This class, I think, that acronym that I just mentioned, that absolutely true. There's space for all of those things. But I realize more and more that the two biggest triggers seem to be social proof and authority people just mm. like everything so many purchase decisions come down to either social proof or authority or a combination thereof yeah um, interesting to me i mean it gets gets to this whole thing of everyone's an expert now I, and my solution for that is prove your authority right mm. Pro- prove your expertise um mm-hmm. As much as people bemoan content marketing and the point we're at with it now, I think it's I still think it's a very powerful tool. If you're speaking directly to your audience and you can really demonstrate that you know what you're talking about, that mm-hmm. works. Like yeah. <laughs> you can't make some things, right? Right. Yeah. I think that's really true. Like when you show them that you clearly do have deep expertise or real inside knowledge or, you know, whatever it is that you're putting out there. Yeah, yeah, most people do have a BS meter, right? Where we can yeah, yeah, detect, and it's, detect the it's posers. Probably, probably yeah. becoming more refined as well, right? Mm. At, oh, at interesting. Set, which is which is good. Mm-hmm. What do they call it in marketing? There's this pardon my language. Uh, Andrew Chan is a VC. Came up with this idea of the law of shitty click-throughs, which is basically all marketing tactics effectiveness d- diminishes to zero over time. The example he uses is banner ads back in the early nineties. Oh right, yeah. they used to have like an eighty-five percent click-through rate. Yeah, they they used to be incredibly effective. Now it's like point zero zero one percent click-through or something ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Um, if you can even get somebody to look at them, because most people just block them <laughs> if they can. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. So yeah. uh, all of these tactics in whatever form they take eventually go to zero. But the prin- this is important. The, the principles behind them don't. So even if people mm. aren't doing these logos on their website anymore, they're still going to be trying to prove social proof and authority some other way. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more powerful to know what those principles are and then be scared, then try to see them everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting because you're right. Like the tactics change as people figure out what tactics are typically phony or just what which ones are annoying or whatever it is. The tactics change, but the principles that make them work don't change. That's what I'm hearing you say. Like human nature that's right. doesn't change. 100%. Yeah. So maybe you could speak a little bit to maybe a couple of the traits of human nature that that are going to make us buy, <laughs> are going to make us click eventually. Like if we're if we're interested enough in in what the person's offering. Yeah. So if those two things that we've been speaking about, social proof and authority, right? Mm, so okay. Like two of the strongest. Mm-hmm. So this gets to a broader point that I talk about in the book a lot. It goes back to this whole idea of don't spam people, respect people. Right. Actually, the better strategy in the long run and kind of amenable to this whole natural ecosystem way of looking at things is because you can plaster fake logos all over your site. That's a tactic that Mm -hmm. pulls those two levers. But another tactic, if you want to call it that, that pulls those two levers is actually working with good companies, getting them great results and knowing what you're talking about and demonstrating that. That pulls the same principles, but one of them's true and honest and real and the other one's Mm -hmm. short-term thinking right? Yeah. I think long-term thinking is something that mm. I haven't in those terms before, but it's something kind of embedded into the structure of my book and my thinking. Like, Yeah. that That is so true, right? Because the get rich quicks tactics are always going to be those 
spammy, dishonest, you know, uh, kind of things. But if you're thinking of the long-term health of your ecosystem, right, then you're going to build it on a more, you know, on a solid foundation of something that's healthy and adds sustenance to others rather than taking it away. Yeah, absolutely. And it's especially for people who are thinking in longer timeframes. I mean, you, you build your email list because you're trying to avoid this platform risk, this walled garden stuff. It is a long-term mm. thing. <clears throat> so short-term tactics, trying to win a long-term game. Right. <laughs> wow. I love that. Like, don't use short-term tactics to win a long-term game. I love that. That's that's like great lift-out quote. We got to <laughs> make sure to feature that. That is brilliant. Matt, I cannot believe how fast this time has gone. So I am going to toss out to you my signature final question, which is, what have I not asked you today that you would love to answer? Goodness, that's a difficult one. You've put me on the spot with that. You know, I know you, you'll, you'll do fine. Um, Take your time. <laughs> would it be cheating to ask about where to find out more about my book? <laughs> well, we're going to have that on the in the show notes. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so um, what else? Well, maybe something that, that you're just itching to talk about that you didn't get a chance to. <laughs> we, we have covered a lot of ground. I'm trying to think here. Okay. One more thing about email. It's the highest ROI channel. Yeah. Yep. That's one more thing I'll talk about just to yeah, cap it Say off. more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think recent study put it 36 US dollars per $1 spent wow. ROI as a channel. I mean, the next most competitive marketing channel was two US dollars, one one dollar spent. That was AdWords. Wow. Um, so I, I think, yeah, if you're thinking about things where you can, if you're thinking about investments where you're going to get thirty six x return, there's not many of those around. So mm -hmm. right, plant the seed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bro, yeah. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask another question. I'm just cheating totally. So do you find there's a certain cadence or frequency? Because I know like I don't want to see an email every day from anybody, but obviously if you ignore your list too long, then it goes dead and cold. Do you have like sort of general parameters for a cadence for emailing and then even a cadence for making offers? You know, like I, I would imagine you don't want to wear them out by making an offer in every email. Yeah, of course. Uh, the unsatisfactory answer is that it depends. Of course. <laughs> depends on the business, uh, depends on the offer, depends on their level of awareness, depends on a lot of factors. But look, let's just give a broad general thing here. Like at least message people look a couple of times a month, every mm -hmm. two weeks. Just mm -hmm. you need, because for exactly that reason, you don't want the list to die. Mm -hmm. um, you need to have, otherwise you'll have to re-engage the list, which is a bit of a drawn out, annoying process can be right. done. Um, but you'll likely lose a lot of subscribers on the way. So you do need some semi-regular cadence, at least, of, mm -hmm. of touching base with people. That aside, as people progress and people become more amenable to what you're saying, as they go through those latter stages of awareness, then, then you can increase the sending frequency a little bit up mm. to, and this is just my personal thinking, three to four times a week, absolute maximum. I don't like right. to send it. That's like yeah. someone who's red hot really it's like a middle of a launch like you right know. right yeah I don't, I don't love the uh, there's multiple schools of thought around this some people say emailing every day is great and there are a lot of um, reasons for that thinking mm -hmm. I tend to not think that in most cases yeah so yeah my input yeah. on that <laughs>
Yeah. I did get those no notes from the universe every day for a while and for a, a few years, actually, I think, but I didn't ever, ever buy anything. <laughs> I just like yeah, the I'm, messages. <laughs> I, I see people who send emails every day and they've been doing it for years and years and it works really well for them. Um, mm -hmm. And there's, there is a philosophy behind why that works so well. Yeah, I generally shy away from that for most people. Yeah. Well, Matt, this has been so interesting and informative and fun to learn. And I've definitely learned a lot. I hope our listeners have too. I'm sure they have. And I just want to thank you once again for being with us on The Author's Corner. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.